Well, good morning. Before I, we get into the message this morning, I want to share some information with you that I think will be very encouraging to you. If you look in your worship folder, you'll find a half sheet uh, giving us some information from Living Water International. You may remember, if you were here last spring, around April, we were uh, asking you to contribute to a special project to give the gift of clean, safe water to some people in the world who did not have that. And our goal for that special project, in order to be able to drill a well and fully fund that project, was $5,000. And you guys responded generously and contributed almost 7000 6800 or so. And I want you to see what God did with your generosity. So a team from Living Water International, that's the Christian organization that goes and does the drilling and sharing the gospel with people, they went to a rural part of India to this village, (laughs) which I'm not going to try to pronounce. We'll just call it Village V. And uh, what's really cool is on that sheet, it has the actual coordinates of this village and the well, and you can actually type those in on Google Maps, and it'll show you the very place where the well is. So they went there to a village where the only source of drinking water is an open stream that was subject to contamination by sewage and other yuck, and so it caused all kinds of health problems. So the team was able to go, they uh, drilled a well, that's right where it is, and they installed a a pump, and now it produces fresh, clean water for the people, And, and this is the really cool part. Before this team came, this village was very resistant to the message of Christ, and through the process of them drilling the well, providing the water, and sharing the gospel with these people. At least five families so far have come to Christ. And uh, yeah. Isn't it awesome what God will do when we embrace his priorities and trust him? Let's, Let's pray, let's give thanks for that, and let's pray for our hearts as we get into God's word this morning. Father, what an amazing thing that you would choose to use us. You have blessed us. You have given us an abundance for every good deed, and you've allowed us to be a part of this. And now these people have this water, and more importantly, they have heard, and they are going to hear more about Jesus, the water of life. Thank you for those who have believed. We pray that you would strengthen them and equip them Help them grow, and we pray for many more to come to trust Jesus through this. God, thank you so much for what you've done. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, will you, we just open up our eyes and our minds and our hearts to understand and believe and embrace your truth and love it. We pray that you would do a good work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our journey through the Beatitudes, which is the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. 
Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Beatitudes are the first part of that. And I just want to recap a little before we move on. In this sermon, Jesus is teaching us about God's kingdom and what it means to be a member of God's kingdom. And as he's teaching, what he teaches about the kingdom is very, very unexpected. Especially to the people who first heard it. When those people thought of the kingdom of God, what they thought of was mainly an external thing. What they were hoping is that God would send a king, a messiah, who would come who would be this great military political leader who would just fix everything on the outside. And then they would experience peace, they would experience contentment, joy on the inside. And and that's pretty much how most of us think, isn't it? Don't we tend to think that if God would just fix the outside, if he'd just fix my job, if he'd just fix my family, if he'd fix the government, if he'd fix the world then I would be able to experience peace and joy on the inside. But Jesus talks about his kingdom, and he says that it's, it's the opposite of that. That his kingdom starts on the inside and works outward. He says that we need to trust him as king of our lives, and when we do, and God makes us right with him, then we begin to experience a peace and a joy inside us that begins to work outward and influence the world as we trust him. And and Jesus is, is letting us know where blessing really comes from. In fact, that's where we get the word beatitude. It's from a Latin word that means blessing. And in these beatitudes, Jesus is focusing our attention on inner things, values, priorities, attitudes. He's telling us the things that characterize people, the character qualities that people who belong to his kingdom live out. He's telling us what it looks like, what people look like who are members of his kingdom. And what they look like is they look flipped. They look upside down because the values and priorities of Jesus' kingdom are almost always the opposite of the values and priorities of this world. But Jesus' values and priorities are the ones that bring true blessing, the truest, the deepest happiness. And so if we really want to be happy, anybody want that? You want to be truly happy? Well, then what we need to do is we've got to embrace, we've got to trust Jesus as our king. We've got to embrace his values. And we've got to be willing to look upside down. We've got to be willing to look upside down to the people around us. Okay, so far we've looked at the first three Beatitudes. Today we come to number four in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. If you want to turn there or get out the sheet. Or do both. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. We'll start reading at verse 1 so we can get it in the context. It says, Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, 
he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Can we say that last beatitude together there in verse 6, beginning with the word blessed? Here we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One more time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, like we've done for the other three Beatitudes, we're going to unpack this one by asking some questions and thinking through the answers. So the first question, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now clearly Jesus is not talking about physical hunger and thirst. You know, we're talking about that water well in India satisfying their physical thirst, but, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here because you can't actually eat and drink righteousness. You can't go to a restaurant and order a plate of righteousness. You can't buy it at the grocery store. It doesn't come in bottles and cans. So Jesus is using a figure of speech here, a metaphor. He is He's drawing a mental picture for us, using hunger and thirst to stand for something, to describe something. And what it stands for, what it describes is desire, desire, and not just a casual desire, but a desire that is strong and compelling. That's what hunger is, because if you're healthy, now if you're not healthy, you know, a lot of times you, you lose your appetite. But if you're healthy, hunger and thirst motivate you. If you're hungry, you're motivated to get something to eat. If you're thirsty, you're motivated to get something to drink. And, and you're not indifferent about it. You're not just, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's okay. If, if I don't eat ever again, that's fine. I can live without that. Uh, no. No, you can't. You, you can't live without eating and drinking. You can't eat without food and drink. And so God has given us these desires to motivate us to eat and drink so we will live, so we will feel compelled. It's a strong, compelling desire. And the longer you go without eating and drinking, the hungrier and thirstier you get. I remember being on a backpack with a bunch of Boy Scouts many years ago. And uh, we were out in this wilderness, and the only food we had to eat was freeze-dried food that you mixed with boiling water to reconstitute it. And I don't know if freeze-dried technology has gotten a lot better. Um, I imagine it probably has, but in those days, it really wasn't that good. At least it wasn't to a teenaged male. I mean... If my mom had served that at home, you know, some of that freeze-dried chicken stew, I would have figured out a way to go to my friend's house and see what his family was having for dinner. But 
Now, you take a teenaged male, and you, you take him out in the wilderness somewhere, away from fast food, away from all the stuff he usually likes to eat, and then you make him hike up and down mountains all day, and then you set before him some of that reconstituted chicken stew, he's going to think that's one of the best meals he's ever had. <laughs> Why? Because he's hungry. He's longing for food. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about, he's telling us that the members of his kingdom are characterized by a compelling, deep, motivating desire for something. And that something is righteousness. And this is where we start to get confused. And this is where the upside-downness of what Jesus is talking about starts to become apparent because a deep, compelling desire for righteousness is not what we see in this world. I mean, this world promotes many kinds of longings. You know, longing to be rich, a longing to be popular, a longing to be physically attractive, a longing for sexual gratification apart from any responsibility. This world promotes a lot of longings, but a longing for righteousness? No. And even those of us who have come to the place of putting our trust in Christ, we've become believers in Jesus, we may not really get what this is talking about. We may find this hard to grasp. I mean, okay, righteousness, yeah, that's a good thing, but to have a compelling hunger and thirst for righteousness? What is that? And part of the problem, I think, is, is confusion about what righteousness actually is. Because the picture that comes into our minds when we hear the word righteousness might not be very attractive. You know, Maybe we think of somebody with a a stern, sour expression who's just, you know, going to make sure everybody toes the line and doesn't have any fun, you know. Or maybe we think of someone who's self-righteous. They think themselves morally and spiritually superior to everyone. So they kind of go around with this smug, holier-than-thou look on their face. But that's ugly, That's not what real righteousness is. Real righteousness is a beautiful thing. Because righteousness means being right. And I don't mean being correct, winning the argument. I don't mean you got the answer to the math problem right. I mean being right in the sense of lining up, lining up with God's will lining up with God's character. And see, God's will and God's character are beautiful. Righteousness is a beautiful thing. What's so ironic about this misunderstanding is that it's unrighteousness that is ugly. I mean, when you hear about something that's just morally repulsive, you know, this story last week about this Guy, I don't know, 40, 50 years old, kidnapping a 16-year-old girl because he's in love with her and he wants to date her and he kills her mother and brother to take her away and kidnaps her? That's morally repulsive. When you think of something like that and you go, that's just not right. 
You're right. It's unrighteous. That's unrighteousness. Righteousness, on the other hand, is when something is right. Something without just right in every way. So, so if you want to think about something righteous, you want to think about righteousness, think about something that's just right in every way, without any shadow of evil, without any twinge of regret or shame. You know, maybe you could think about a baby being embraced by his mother. Maybe a dad working hard to provide for his family. That's right. Maybe a couple celebrating 50 years of faithful marriage to one another. Maybe somebody taking a stand against injustice and speaking the truth with boldness. Or maybe somebody giving comfort to the lonely, to the despairing. Or someone confronting evil with courage, standing up to evil with courage. Or somebody demonstrating compassion in a time of need, generosity. When you people gave generously to drill a well to provide fresh water and the gospel to that village in India, that's righteousness. That's right. That's what righteousness looks like. And so, in other words, righteousness looks like Jesus. It looks like somebody living out the character of Jesus in their life. So, really, to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness means to be hungry and thirsty for God. Why? Because only God is perfectly righteous and only God can bring about righteousness in our lives and in our world. If you go back to that first beatitude, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What's that saying? It's saying, blessed are those who realize they aren't righteous. You realize you're not righteous and you have no way to make yourself righteousness, righteous by your own efforts. And you find yourself agreeing with Romans 3.10 where it says, there's none righteous. Not even one. And that leads you to a place of, of acknowledging and, and mourning. You know, that's the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, who realize they have no righteousness. But then, then you hear the good news. You hear the good news that Jesus came to make us righteous. Because we can't do it. He came to make us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to die on that cross. Look at this. So that in him, look at this we might become the righteousness of God. And so, we call out to God. We say, yes, I don't have it. I need it. I want it. You call out to God to give you His righteousness as a gift. It's a gift because of Jesus. And now this fourth beatitude 
what it's telling us, it's showing us that righteousness is not meant to be something we just simply receive and then go on and never think about it again, never think about righteousness. No, that initial gift of righteousness starts something. It begins to transform our spiritual appetites. It begins to create in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And we feel, yeah, okay, so God regards me as righteous because of Christ, but I want to actually be righteous. I want to I live it out. I want, I want him to transform me, and I want him to transform this world. I want everything to be right. We want this righteousness to saturate our lives. We want it to change our world. We want it to transform everything that is evil into good. This is talking about longing. Longing for righteousness in our life and in our world. The way a hungry man longs for food and the way a thirsty man longs for water. I want righteousness. And longing for righteousness means longing for God and for His will. That's what Psalm 42 is talking about. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Have you ever asked that question? When can I just, can I meet with God? When can I, can I be with God? And where, where do you go? Where do you go if you're hungry and thirsty for God and his righteousness? John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is giving us the answer to our second question. Why are the hungry and thirsty blessed? Because they will be satisfied. We just need to think for a minute about what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the hungry and thirst, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Think about that for a minute. You realize that means Jesus wants you to be satisfied? That is amazing. He wants you to be satisfied. So, there are so many things, you know, Jesus is saying satisfaction guaranteed. You ever heard that? I mean, this world offers so many things that promise satisfaction, doesn't it? I mean, we are bombarded every day with all kinds of stuff that people claim will satisfy us. So, you know, this product, this experience, this toy, this car, this cosmetic, this vacation, this diet, this surgery, whatever, just buy it, use it, do it, and you'll be satisfied. And it never works. It never works. 
Does McDonald's still sell Happy Meals? Do they still do that? Think about that brilliant marketing. Buy this meal and you'll be happy. Yeah, for like 30 seconds until the cheap little toy breaks. A meal can't provide you happiness, except maybe just, or satisfaction, deep satisfaction. I mean, this world presents so many things. It, it never works. Why doesn't it work? You know why it doesn't work? Because the hole in our hearts is God-shaped. And only God can fill it. Anything less will not do. But that's what Jesus came to do. He came to fill the hole in our hearts created by our sin. And he will. So he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So go to him. Go to him. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Receive him. Embrace him as your king. And he will give you the gift of righteousness that satisfies. And now here's the paradox. You know, we've talked about these beatitudes being paradoxical. They seem to say two things that seem to contradict each other, like happy or the sad. What? You know, and you, you have to think about it. Well, the paradox here is the righteousness, this righteousness that satisfies, it also dissatisfies because it makes us hungry for more. It's kind of like eating a good piece of blueberry pie. You think, oh man, that is so satisfying. But I think I'd like some more. But the day is coming when Jesus will satisfy us completely. Completely. See, that's the confidence. When Jesus says satisfaction guaranteed, he means it. And he promises for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he promises a complete satisfaction. Look at 2 Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we are waiting, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness is the norm. Righteousness is the daily experience. That's not the world we're living in right now. The new heavens, new earth, that's, that's when the blessing will be complete. So, we receive the gift of righteousness. God regards us as righteous because of Christ. That creates in us both a satisfaction and a dissatisfaction, a hunger and a thirst for more and more. But now I want to I deal with one more question before we finish. Because we're talking about a desire. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we're talking about a desire, and the question that always comes up is, well, what do I do if I don't desire it? What, I, what do you do if you're not that hungry and thirsty for righteousness? How do you get a desire you don't really have, or you don't have it very strongly? In other words, how do we cultivate a hunger and a thirst, an appetite, for righteousness. Right, this is so important that we get this. Because this is true of all of these Beatitudes. We only experience them by faith. 
meaning this. I don't mean by imagination. Uh, we're just going to pretend we're experiencing it. No, I'm talking about really experiencing it, but you only experience it by faith, which means instead of relying on ourselves and trying to somehow muster it up and make it happen, relying instead on Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of faith, to rely on Christ instead of ourselves or something else. So what does this mean? This means, first of all, relying on Christ by asking Him, coming to Him and asking Him for the righteousness, the hunger and thirst that we don't have. Relying means asking, Lord, I just don't think I'm very hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I need you to create that appetite in me. Faith. But then relying means something else. It doesn't mean just asking him for righteousness. It means doing what he has said. Because we trust him. Not because we're trying to keep the rules so that he'll you know, approve of us but because we trust him. It's like when you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription. Are you going to do what he says? Well, you will if you trust him. And it's the same idea. So relying means doing what he says, or you put it another way, obeying. And here's the thing. These things that he asks us to do actually help increase our appetite for righteousness. You know, Jesus says in John 13, I don't have it on your notes, but he said, he just taught the disciples about serving one another. And he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The blessing comes in the doing. Here's the deal. Righteousness for sinners is an acquired taste. We don't just naturally have a, a, a taste for righteousness as sinners. We need to acquire the taste. How do you acquire the taste? By tasting. By tasting. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed. Note that word. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him, who trusts in Him, who relies on Him. In other words, go to Him, listen to Him, believe in Him, do what He says, And more and more you will taste how good his righteousness is, how good he is, and that will increase your appetite for more righteousness. Okay, so I just want to point out three specific things that he's told us to do, three things that we can do, three ways that will intensify our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. Okay, and I'm going to put these in culinary terms, keep this metaphor of hunger and thirst going right here we go first one stop eating junk stop eating junk what do i mean well the bible tells us to flee from idols first john 5 21 you know what an idol is an idol is a substitute for god Basically, idolatry is trying to find satisfaction for your soul in something less than God, something other than God, something apart from God. And this world is full of idols. It is full of things that, the, that our culture offers us and says, here, this will satisfy you, here. And if you eat that junk, it will lessen your desire for God and His righteousness. I mean, if you fill up on Twinkies and chips... You're not going to be hungry for dinner. Your mom told you that. 
she was right. Now, practically speaking, what does this mean? I think what this means is we need to be very careful about indulging in the things pop culture offers us because pop culture is offering us junk food, spiritual junk food. Because what pop culture offers us is usually separate from God, disconnected from God, even rejecting God and his right side up values. So you got to be very careful. You got to be careful what you read. You got to be careful what you watch. You got to be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you spend your time doing. Here's the thing if it isn't right, if it isn't right, if it isn't good, if it isn't honoring to God, if it's not something that you can do and give thanks to God because it's a, you're enjoying one of his gifts, because God wants us to enjoy his good gifts. But if you can't legitimately enjoy it as a good gift from God and thank him for it, then it's probably spiritual junk food. And if you indulge in it, it'll kill your appetite for righteousness. So stop eating junk. Second, read the menu. Read the menu. You know, you go into a restaurant, if it's, if it's a nicer restaurant, when you open it up, it talks about the different dishes, and you may not know what that thing is, but then underneath it's got a little description or next to it, and you start reading about it. Wow. I tried this. I went online to one of my favorite restaurants, and they have the menu there. And I started reading about the specialties and the pastas, and they have pictures of their desserts. And I wasn't particularly hungry when I started doing this. But after a few minutes, I was ready to get in the car and go. Because it just sounded so good. The description in the menu increased my appetite. Well, the same thing can happen to us when we read the menu of righteousness. What am I talking about? Talking about the Word of God. Because this is where righteousness is described and explained to us. In stories, in parables, in instructions, in the portraits of Jesus. And so, in practical terms, what this means is looking, taking the time to look carefully at the description of righteousness. Especially look at the portrait of Jesus, because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is and his righteousness. And you look at him and you ponder him, and you see how good he is. Righteousness isn't just good for us, it's good, period. Ponder his goodness so that you will want to treasure him more and more. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at the glory, the beauty of the Lord, we're being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. We tend to become like what we focus on. We become like what we focus on. So read the menu. Third, savor the aroma of righteousness. Savor the aroma. Has this ever happened to you? You weren't really particularly hungry. You weren't feeling hungry. Maybe you hadn't even thought about it. And then you walk into the house and somebody is cooking something that smells fabulous what happens you get hungry that aroma 
arouses your appetite. And the same thing happens spiritually. When you savor the aroma of righteousness, when you savor the aroma of genuine goodness, it makes you hungry for more. Okay, so where do we get, where do we find that aroma of righteousness? 2 Corinthians 2.14, look at this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. In other words, Jesus spreads the aroma of his righteousness through his people as they live righteously, as they do good. So, hang around people who really love Jesus. Get together with people who really love Jesus. Do things with people who love Jesus, who are serious about doing good. And see his goodness on display and savor it. Savor it. Because basically, when you're around people who do good, it makes you want to do good. Being around people who are forgiving makes you want to be more forgiving. Being around people who are courageous makes you want to be more courageous. Being around people who are kind makes you want to be more kind. Being around people who worship and who pray makes you want to worship and pray better. Being around people who are hospitable and generous makes you want to be hospitable and generous and so on. So make an effort to connect, to become friends with people who love Jesus Christ, who want to live out His righteousness. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're not in a small group, get in one. We'll be telling you about some opportunities coming up when fall gets going and, and into the new year. But get connected. Get to know some people and hang out with those who love Jesus Christ and who are serious about living out His righteousness. And savor the aroma. Read the menu. Don't eat any junk. That'll increase your appetite. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness. And let's ask the king. Let's ask the king to increase our appetite. Okay, let's pray together. If you bow with me. I just want to give you a quiet moment for you to talk to the Lord. You know, if you've never come to that place of realizing that you're not righteous, And yet Jesus came and died and rose again to make us righteous. If you've never asked Him for that righteousness, that free gift, you can do that today. Just ask Him. Admit you need it. Admit you don't have it. That you're not going to make it with God apart from what Jesus does for you. And say, Lord, do it for me. Or if today you're realizing... Well, your appetite for righteousness just isn't what it should be. It's probably true of all of us. Ask the Lord to help you have an appetite for what's good, for His will. So let's take a minute, I'll be quiet, and let's pray.
Father, your righteousness is so awesome, and yet we get blinded by other things, and sometimes we just don't see it, and we just don't want it. And Lord, we're just asking you today to help us say no to the junk food of this world. Help us to see the beauty of your righteousness, to savor that aroma, Lord. Just increase our appetite so we want it, so we live it. Lord, we ask you for this because only you can make it happen. So we just come and ask you to do it for us. Make us people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, Lord, because we want to be satisfied and only you can do that. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.